Welcome to a University of Bath IPR policy podcast. Welcome, everyone, and uh, many thanks for joining us for this event hosted by the University of Bath's Institute for Policy Research. My name is Matt Dixon. I'm a professor of economic and social policy at the IPR, and I'm delighted to be joined this evening by Professor Simon Burgess, uh, Evelyn Ford, MBE, and Jack Worth. Together, we'll be discussing the current teacher recruitment and retention crisis and thinking about what policymakers might be able to do to improve the situation. In a moment, I'm going to invite each of our speakers to offer their initial remarks, then we'll open up the discussion, and then there will be opportunity for questions. Uh, do please be putting your questions in uh, using the Q&A function uh, in Zoom. But first of all, let me uh, more formally introduce our panel. Simon Burgess is a Professor of Economics at the University of Bristol and a Fellow of the British Academy. He's Programme Director for Economics of Education at the Institute for the Study of Labour in Bonn and was previously uh, the Director of both the Centre for Market and Public Organisation from 2004 to 2014 and also the Centre for Understanding Behaviour Change from 2010 to 2014. In addition to this, Simon was also the independent chair of the board of the Somerset Challenge from 2016 to 2017, which was a locally uh, funded school improvement initiative. Welcome, Simon. Uh, Evelyn Ford, MBE, is an experienced teacher and an award-winning school leader. She was recently served as the president of the Association of School and College Leaders, and from 2016 to 2023 was head teacher at Coptal's School in Mill Hill, North London. During this time, she led the school to achieve significantly improved outcomes and worked with the staff um, to secure a range of accolades for the school. In November 2020, Evelyn was awarded the prestigious TES Head Teacher of the Year Award and received an MBE Services to Education in the 2021 New Year's Honours List. Welcome, Evelyn. And last but by no means least, uh, we have Jock, uh, Jock, Jack, Jack Worth, who is the school workforce lead at the National Foundation for Educational Research. His research aims to understand um, changes in the recruitment, retention, development, and diversity of teachers in the UK. He's a specialist in analyzing large data sets, including um, labor force survey and the school workforce census. And he uses statistical analysis to gain insights for policy and practice, and is widely regarded as the leading authority in the country on the data relating to teacher recruitment and retention. Welcome, Jack. And it's Jack that I'm going to invite to kick us off with some data-inspired thoughts on the current teacher uh, recruitment and retention situation in, in England. Thanks, Jack. Thanks very much, Matt. Uh, thank you, thanks very much, Matt. <laughs> uh, did the same as you. Uh, it's wonderful to be here uh, talking about this uh, important uh, topic, uh, teachers, uh, at this time when recruiting and retaining enough teachers is really difficult. Uh, in England. Um, I think so it's important to have enough teachers. It's a, just a, a fundamental need uh, in our system of a of any well functioning school system is to have enough teachers to deliver the quality education for pupils. Uh, and if we have uh, shortages of qualified teachers, then it means that schools and school leaders are trying to make do with either expensive supply teachers or deploying non-specialist teachers uh, to teach certain subjects uh, or burdening existing staff with uh, with with more workload um so there's uh 
there's a real uh, imperative to make sure that there are uh, enough teachers to deliver high quality education. But we also know that when there's a national squeeze on teacher supply, it affects the schools serving disadvantaged communities the most. Um, so it matters just as much for social mobility uh, as much as it does uh, for the educational performance uh, of the nation. So in terms of what's been going on uh, and the reason why we're so concerned about it at the moment uh, is that uh, re recruitment to teacher training has been uh, particularly poor for a number of years. Um, it improved slightly during the pandemic because the wider labour market kind of dried up in terms of opportunities, but teaching, being teaching, it's always open. Uh, there's always pupils to teach. Um, so it saw an increase during the pandemic, but since the pandemic it has been particularly poor. Uh, so last year, uh, secondary uh, teacher training, there were uh, the, the number of teachers recruited into teacher training was half what the government uh, assessed that we need to come into the system. So this is, this is really uh, tricky, particularly for secondary schools. Um, and it's partly a recruitment issue. We're just not recruiting enough teachers uh, to meet that need. Um, and it's particularly difficult in a competitive labour market like we've had since the pandemic with shortages uh, across the labour market. But it's not just a recruitment issue. It's also the retention issue. It's the same, the, the other side uh, of the teacher supply coin. Um, so we currently lose 10% of teachers every year. Uh, and if we weren't losing quite so many, then we wouldn't need to recruit quite so many. Uh, and that's part of what's led us into this um, difficulty. Um, but it's also being driven, it's, it is a supply issue, but it's also being driven by demand factors. So the fact that we need so many more secondary teachers is being driven by increases in pupil numbers, uh, while uh, primary pupil numbers are falling. So it's particularly affecting secondary and particularly affecting some subjects which have always been difficult to recruit for, like maths and science and modern foreign languages. Um, so what are the drivers of some of these um, supply issues? Um, I think there are some key ones that are worth uh, thinking about. Um, so there are teacher shortages, uh, teacher under recruitment in other countries, um, but it's certainly the case that England stands out uh, as having uh, teachers that work high working hours, uh, have high workload, stress, low job satisfaction and higher leaving rates, uh, which is why, as a result, we have one of the youngest teaching workforces in the OECD. Um, and, and workload is one of those really key drivers of uh, retention. So um, it's really important uh, driver of the what we're seeing uh, in retention. Um, but pay and financial attractiveness of teaching is also really, really important. Uh, and we've seen the pay of teachers has grown more slowly over time since 2010 than salaries outside of teaching. So the competitiveness of teaching has become uh, less, so it's less financially attractive to enter and to stay in uh, as a profession than it was, uh, which is surely affecting recruitment and retention. Um, there are a number of uh, subject specific kind of bursaries and early career payments and other financial incentives uh, around. Uh, and we have pretty good evidence that those are highly effective, uh, but they're just not operating at the scale required to uh, to either undo the effect of reducing that pay uh, in competitiveness or or resolving the kind of overall challenges uh, that we're facing. Um, and then since the pandemic, we also face another uh, big challenge, which is uh, attracting teachers to enter and stay in teaching. And that always means competing with other professions. And actually what we've seen is that the graduate labour market outside of teaching has uh, been transformed by the pandemic. So here we are all at home uh, chatting to each other on Zoom.
which was in Australia quite a few years ago. So hybrid working is something that's va really valued by people, uh, but isn't the sort of thing that's on offer to frontline professionals like teachers. Um, so we, we need to kind of grapple with um, how we're going to uh, deal with that uh, change and keep teaching uh, just as competitive as it always was. Um, but that's all quite negative uh about about teaching uh and i just wanted to end on a positive uh in terms of talking about teaching as a really wonderful uh important significant profession um it gives people the opportunity to work with young people uh, and have a significant impact on opportunities and life chances um data that we look at shows that teachers have a greater sense of things that they do are worthwhile uh, compared to other graduates and people in other professions. So it's really important that we also um, value teachers and talk up the teachers. Uh, and really, as a, a, as, a, as a society and government, should uh, treasure and value the teachers that we've got uh, and also try to make teaching as attractive uh, a profession as we possibly can. Um, because we need the talented, skilled, and supported and motivated teachers uh, to, to deliver a great education for young people. Well, thank you, Jack. Thank you for uh, bringing in the kind of positive uh, at the end and reminding because, um, you know, amongst the talk that we're going to be having about this crisis in, in, in recruitment and retention, it is really important to remember that um, teaching professionals, yeah, do have these high levels of um, job satisfaction that there are, you know, something very rewarding about working with young people and there's a lot of positives uh so thank you uh jack for sounding that note um let me now come to evelyn and and perhaps you can give us your reflections as someone who's been at the coalface of uh teacher recruitment and retention and these sorts of issues around workload etc that jack has been talking about yeah sure and thank you for having me i just want to kind of just kind of go back a little bit to um what jack was saying however um and it's a positive and it's a negative the positive is is that jack and his team have just done some fantastic work on ethnic diversity in the teaching workforce um but the negative is is they are underrepresented in the teaching workforce and they too are leaving in droves. So there's another, there's kind of another strand to the whole teacher um, recruitment and retention when you have a lens on that. And um, I just wanna say that's a brilliant piece of work that's been done by NFER and I didn't want to miss that. However, <laughs> I can speak about this topic with kind of three hats on really. Um, number one, as a head teacher, um, and as you said, I left in August of last year, um, uh, frontline headship, and I have to say that recruitment and retention was one of the biggest challenges that kept me up at night. There was plenty others, don't get me wrong, but the fact that I couldn't put a qualified teacher in front of my young people people um, became really, really challenging and just kind of added to the workload and the stress that school um, that school leaders have. Um, a good example would be there was one time when I had three supply science teachers, you know, that was in the core. Um, I had to merge classes because we just didn't have enough teachers to teach our young people. That was just in the core. You know, I also had supply or trying to get supply in other subjects as well. You know, staff retention became a real challenge. 
many young um, teachers looking abroad. Um, and I think we need to question why are they going abroad? And, you know, we, we can and we can see the cost of living crisis, particularly in the in the big cities. Living in London is a real challenge for young people, uh, for everybody. Um, and so the financial pressures are driving um, uh, teachers and leaders away. And Jack mentioned the pay. And yes, you know, many unions like ASCO, we fought hard for the pay increase, but it hasn't kept up with the um with the um with inflation. So there is something around pay. Um so when I when I had to sit down and think, well, why are people leaving? And I kind of looked across the board and yes, it's pay, yes, it's workload, yes, it's conditions of service. Um, and then there's offset as well. And I, you know, I don't think we can shy away from that, um, particularly for many school leaders, because, you know, it had become a very punitive system. Um, and that's driving um teachers and school leaders out of out of the profession um i think some staff not only were they moving abroad but also moving to the private sector that became quite attractive to to some teachers um and you know i think we really need to consider um and look at what can we do or you know what can ministers do more proactively to look at workload look at pay look at conditions look at ofsted etc so that's my one hat with um uh, uh what's my one hat being a head teacher um last year i um chaired education supports commission on teacher retention and that was supported by public first and we undertook extensive polling exercises um, we had focus groups and evidence sessions. And I just kind of want to share some stats with you because we found them quite eye-watering and deeply concerning. Um, just a couple. 78% of teachers said they would they would be likely to leave the profession if they were offered a job in another sector, which promised a better work-life balance. And, you know, we've been talking about the pandemic and how, you know, organisations have been able to flex. You know, as Jack said, we're here online and so on. Um, that's, a, that's a bit harder in the sector but I think there's some work we can do looking around flexible working and what that looks like. Um, we also found that more than one in five secondary school teachers said they were unlikely to be in the profession in five years time and I think um, what isn't done enough for our profession is celebrate it and really big us up as a profession. We get a lot of negativity coming from ministers behind closed doors. Um, and, you know, if there was a bit more appreciation for the sector, that could go a long way. And that might kind of retain um, secondary school teachers from thinking about leaving. Um, 72% of secondary teachers said they were helping students with non-academic matters relating to mental health. That, you know, the pressure on schools, teachers, non-teaching staff, just trying to support our young people, more so post-pandemic, you know, and we could have a whole session on, on CAMs and, you know, the services that we're all trying to carry, but that has had 
um, a negative impact. And I faced that like day in and day out when I was a head teacher. So that's my hat number two. My final hat number three is as ASCAL president last year and being able to talk on behalf of ASCAL. You know, we hear on a daily basis the challenges that school and college leaders are facing around recruitment and retention. And I've mentioned, you know, the ones um, around workload pay and so on and so forth. Um, and Jack has already alluded to um, the fact that we don't have enough trainee teachers coming through the system. And, you know, ASCO talks a lot about that with ministers. And we try to remind them that they've missed their targets, you know, and we've got shortages of teachers Um huge deficits in maths, physics, computing, modern foreign languages, and head teachers are having to make those real difficult decisions about what should the curriculum look like. Of course, we need to offer a broad and balanced curriculum, but if you know that you have not got those teachers to teach those young people, where do you go with that? Um, so um, finally, the supply of new teachers just want to reiterate, is just simply inefficient, insufficient. We have not got the pipeline coming through. Um, teaching is not celebrated and it's not, we're not recognised for the amazing work that happens in the schools. Um, and so there's a piece of work to do there. So those are my three hats. Happy to have further discussions later on, but that's my input for now. That's brilliant. Thank you, Evelyn. That's really, you've given us some really um, uh, interesting food for thought with those different uh, challenges and those different perspectives coming at the problem. Um, Simon, uh, if I can come to you for how do we solve all this? Or no, I won't ask you to kind of solve all these problems, but just, you know, as someone who's worked on the teacher labor market for um, a decade or more, um, uh, what, what, what's your kind of take on these on these issues so so let me uh, disabuse you immediately i do not have the solution or necessarily even a solution it's it's a hard problem hmm. um so i mean teachers as as our first two speakers have made very clear um teachers are very very important uh we know that from uh from the research numbers but also, if anyone needed convincing, then, you know, the pandemic will have done that. Um, when when students were not allowed to be with their teachers, almost all of them suffered dreadfully in terms of their progress, their, their, their academic progress, their learning, and obviously separately also their, their mental health. So teachers are very, very important. And the teacher recruitment uh, crisis is a really big, important problem. Um, Professor Sandra McNally from uh, Surrey and I had to write a, a piece on um, what are the biggest problems facing an incoming government um, and we had a we wrote a chapter on education and that is and was our number one problem the teacher recruitment crisis is the most urgent important problem I think facing education um, so uh, thank you very much to Jack and Evelyn that was a really interesting really interesting talks um, so when when uh, Matt and his colleagues asked me to do this, I my usual response anyone asks me anything about teacher recruitment is say go and talk to Jack, read what Jack has written. <laughs> but I was slightly stumped since since he's already spoken, has already written. Um, so what I'm going to do is I I really just want to make three um, three points, um, none of which unfortunately are the solution. Mm. Um, 
it's, it's always very tempting when you're looking at a problem in our own country to think, you know, this is due to factors in this country and the solution has to come from this country. But the teacher recruitment crisis is an international problem. Um, and obviously different countries have it to a different diff different degrees. Um, but there are other major, major countries that are also really suffering from a teacher recruitment crisis. So Germany, for example, Germany performed really quite badly in the, in the recent international pupil assessment um, uh, rankings that were published in December. And a lot of people in Germany are blaming their teacher shortage, their teacher crisis. <clears throat> There's a lot of um, uh, not being able to fill vacancies, just as there is in this country. And there's also a huge amount of absenteeism from of teachers from schools because of health issues, because in turn of, of overwork. Um, about 40% of teachers work part time. Um, so I think people are trying to reduce their hours and trying to make their own um, work life balance there. So some schools in Germany are going down to four day weeks. Some schools in Germany are recruiting people without teacher qualifications um, and um, people calculate that they need around tens of thousands more teachers than they currently have. Um, and that's only going to get worse because their pupil numbers are also increasing and also that they're, they're finally moving to a longer teaching day, be a bit more like uh, the rest of countries. Globally, um, in, uh, UNESCO have, have uh, estimated that in order to hit the sustainable development goal of universal basic education by 2030, Around the world, we need 69 million more teachers. So this, my, my, my point is to say that this is not just here. We can't, doesn't make sense to look for explanations for this that only relate to this country. Again, in, in the international student assessment that came out in December, they also talk about this. They note that the availability of teachers to help students when they need that help, they need that bit of extra help is, is highly correlated with the country's score in maths. So there is, um, you know, just kind of emphasizing how much teachers matter. There's no direct measure of, of vacancies, unfilled vacancies, but school principals are asked about staff shortages. And there were, um, just in Europe, there were 16 countries who, for whom the number of principals reporting teacher shortages was higher than the UK including France, Italy, Netherlands, Sweden, Germany, Greece, Hungary, Latvia, Hungary, Latvia. So um, it's, a, it's a widespread problem. It's a widespread problem. And I think we also need to think that teacher shortage is to do with not being able to, you know, as, as Jack said right at the beginning, so the, the start off is the people um, joining teacher training courses um, and then filling vacancies. But we also need to think about teacher absence and, um, as Evelyn alluded to, sort of this changing role of teachers to be much broader, to be to do with social welfare as much as to do with, or you know, maybe nearly as much to do with education. So it's an international problem. We should think about, you know, what are we doing to the teaching profession more broadly than just in England? And we need to think about and look to other places for solutions as well. Second thing to say is that, um, Yes, the number of teachers in a school matters a great deal. At the margin, so the number of teachers matters, but also the, the effectiveness of those teachers. And there is, you know, in some cases, and I'm not saying this applies to England completely right now, 
to the having more having effective teachers, more highly effective teachers can balance to a degree the number of teachers. Now, there are very practical, everyday practical things about teacher numbers in schools that make a difference. So, you know, rooms are a certain size for a certain number of pupils. You can't suddenly add another 10, 10 pupils to a class in a very straightforward way. Um, but, you know, the having in, in terms of sort of the, the research data on um, uh, what, what matters for pupil attainment, uh, the, the effectiveness of the teachers is way more important than the number of teachers. And as I say, the, the, the shortfalls in, in training are, are so large that, as, as Jack and his colleagues have uh, highlighted, that I don't, you know, we're not really operating at the margin here. These, these are really big shortfalls. And it means you, there are just things you can't do. So whether your plan was for everyone to do maths to 18, age 18, or whether there's some other, some new plan maybe coming with, um, if, if we get a change of government, then, you know, there are just things that we can't do. But I would say that we have to, we do have to remember teacher effectiveness. And when we're thinking about the solution to teacher recruitment, teacher retention, we really must be very careful that we don't do anything that would jeopardize the average effectiveness of teachers in, in a school or, or in the country as a whole. Um, okay, and then my third, my third and final thing is to it's just a, a few thoughts about workload because workload is is mentioned um globally but is also mentioned particularly by teachers in england as jack and as others have have shown and so i i think we have to we have to agree that this is you know very definitely an issue in the problem and there are different sorts of workload and 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 it may be that um uh jack or evelyn can tell us in 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 a few minutes about what aspects of workload appear to be the the uh, the, the drivers of this too much workload? <clears throat> but I um, and some of that will be undoubtedly administration bureaucracy and form filling. We all hate administration bureaucracy and form filling, and we all have too much of it to do. I suspect part of that is um, without sounding like an old man, just the modern world. But you know, I don't know. Maybe some of it can be got rid of. Although quite a lot of it, I think, is probably to do with people protection and uh, people safeguarding. But I want to talk about another aspect of workload, and I'm at a total disadvantage here because I've never actually been a school teacher. And so whatever I say, Evelyn can come in and say that's complete rubbish. No, that's completely wrong. But it seems to me that there is a lot of repetition in teaching. So think about lesson plans. You know, teachers um, every day are going to make a lesson plan for each class, and then tomorrow they're going to do the same. And there's there's a great deal of resistance within the profession to any idea of kind of, you know, re repeating those, having having common lesson plans, um, and having sort of bespoke lesson plans that you can pull off from the web or somewhere else, uh, recycling lesson plans and so on. And I think these are to do with with professional autonomy, that I'm a professional, that's my class, my class is unique, I'm going to say what, what's the best way of teaching that class. And that's fine, I completely understand that. But there has to be a bit of a trade-off between that and, well, you know, if I used, you know, if our school had a set of common lesson plans, so for someone teaching science to 15-year-olds, by week seven, this is what you do, and you just you know, use that, there would, be, there would be quite a lot. So I think some of that came through Oak, the Oak Academy, which was set up during the uh, during the pandemic, which seemed to me to be a really good idea. 
but I've noticed on um, Twitter that within the teaching profession, there seems to be quite a lot of antipathy to that. And I'm not really, I, I don't really sure I understand that. Um, and then similarly, a, a couple of weeks ago, I think, um, the Education Endowment Foundation do sponsor a lot of research, a lot of really high quality research in, in education, announced that they were going to look at a trial where uh, teachers' lesson plans would be helped um, with a little dose of AI to, um, again, to sort of try and speed the process up and try and remove a bit of workload, um, which, you know, we all want, I guess. Um, and it's just a trial, you know, so we, we're, we're some years off having that, having anything actually working on that, even if it's shown to work. But again, th there was quite a bit of resistance to that. And so while um, I completely agree that workload is a big problem for teachers, and they, this is said in every in every uh, data set where people can say this, um, we need to think about the balance between that and professional autonomy. And maybe there's a few little gains we can do there. I'm not saying this is the main issue in workload, but it's one that I think might be might be addressable, whereas other ones might be harder to address. Okay, done. That's fantastic, Simon. Thank you. That's really, uh, again, given us uh, food for thought. I think uh, first thing is um, perhaps just on what the, the last point you're making there, maybe Evelyn could give some um, reflections from the kind of professional teacher side, just thinking about, yeah, the idea of, yeah, common lesson plans, why there's such yeah. kind of resistance to that. Um, and yeah, wh wh whether there's a way forward and a kind of gain we can get there in reducing workload. Yeah, thank you. I think I probably disagree slightly, Simon, in that um, common lesson plans are fairly common in many schools. There's more collaboration um, and there's more of a sharing of ideas. And, and you know, an example would be, you know, in my school, my, my previous school, if I walked into any English lesson and we had year seven on at the same time, I know that I would see a standard format. Obviously, the, the nuances that the teacher might bring to the lesson, but actually, there, I, I would argue that there is there is more. There is more of that common sharing of lesson plans in schools. Um, but the workload, I think, is a really interesting point. And I talk about this a lot in that I don't I don't refer to workload in the, you know, we're getting too many data drops. We're getting too many observations. So we've got to do all this planning. I think where the workload has become a real challenge for teachers and leaders is actually around the social, emotional and mental health aspect. Um, you know, I'd been teaching for many, many years um, and never before, you know, would I open a newspaper or hear on the radio that teachers will become responsible for brushing young people's teeth. Now, you know, there is an argument around, you know, is, is that the best place to do it? But, you know, that's just one small example. You know, the number of home visits, you know, that that more teachers and leaders are expected to do, more of the, you know, the one-to-one -one and really trying to hold our children in our schools. And I, you know, for me, an answer would be because the systems are just falling apart, you know, CAMS is, is on its knees. And we, you know, I also say when I came into the profession, 
I was a history teacher. I'm a history teacher by trade. I don't know, you know, I I struggled when I had young people who were suffering from suicide ideation. And, you know, I had to go and think, who can support me? So I think my point there is, if schools are going to be asked to do lots of this heavy lifting, we are going to have to be trained and we're going to have to have some funds in our schools in order to do that. So for me, I totally agree with Simon around, let's really get under the skin of workload. And what does that really mean? And I think it means something different post-COVID. Yeah, I think that's um, <clears throat> chimes. Both of you have kind of mentioned something about the actual role of a teacher and the changing nature of of the job. Um, in that, rather than just being educators, there's this kind of broader, um, almost social work type element to the job. And I don't know if that is something, Jack. I don't know if this is something that's um, picked up in any of your work. In in the sense that a lot of people. Um, have a vocation for teaching some of those positive things we're talking about the, at the beginning about the, the rewarding nature of the job but at the same time are are very aware I, I'm not a social you know how do I deal with a, a young person with that so the job is changing and is is there a danger that this is part of what is leading to um, uh, you know not enough people going into teacher training because of that aspect of the job becoming more prominent what I think it's definitely come through our research recently. Um, so we did um, uh, a review, uh, an evidence review on workload uh, for uh, Education Endowment Foundation, just to kind of understand what are the what are the key drivers, what are the areas where teachers would like to see their workload reduced. Um, and Simon's right; you do see a lot of teachers saying they spend too much time planning. But also, when you get when you get to really talk to teachers, I think they value the time that they spend preparing lessons and planning lessons it's not necessarily planning you know uh, planning every lesson from scratch every time okay. I think it's about tweaking and adapting and being responsive to well how did the last lesson go did they understand it actually if they didn't maybe I need to tweak what I do in the next lesson and so teaching is just a constant um, balancing act of kind of you know keeping up with where kids are and 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 bringing them along in terms of their learning and understanding so you, you can have those kind of templates and that kind of you know where are we going with the curriculum but lesson to lesson that will then that will then change and teachers value that um that, that the professional autonomy that they have in terms of um uh, of you know going on that that journey with that uh, with that class mm -hmm. um, the, i mean the areas that did come up in that review as you know teachers really saying they needed um support with reducing their workload uh was uh, things that often come up in terms of uh, marking uh, and admin but top of the list which i don't think i've seen it before is this issue of you know behavior management and pastoral support yeah. uh, and when you kind of really dig into what teachers are saying there you know schools are doing quite a lot to support teachers with their workload um but it's that external support they're receiving from uh, from from elsewhere to support with those additional challenges which teachers you know, teachers are trained to teach, you know, classes of 20, 30. Um, it, to deal with those additional issues is, is a very different skill, is a very different thing. And it does, it's not very conducive to um, classroom teaching. So it's something that needs to be, um, you know, needs that external support. Uh, and that came through very clearly in, in, in that research in terms of what's going on uh, in schools at the moment after the pandemic, given all of the mm -hmm. The challenges that that brought to to young people and um, what they're coping with. 
So I, I guess one of my questions was going to be around, you know, yeah, if you are the new education minister coming in, and Simon, you mentioned about thinking what is the number one priority, uh, and 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 your work uh, with with Sandra McNally has suggested, okay, the teacher recruitment that is the thing. I wonder if uh, to some extent what also needs to be recruited is yeah these staff to these support services to to cams um that sort of thing uh would that be a kind of i don't know almost equal priority to kind of get those staff uh you know up recruitment in that area in order to kind of then free up teachers or are we saying <laughs> that actually the role of teacher is changing and if you want to be a teacher you're also going to be doing this kind of pastoral care support um social uh work type role is there a kind of like a fundamental choice there to be made about what we see teachers as going forward are we going to re recruit the support staff or are we going to kind of put that on teachers is that a question to me that is uh it's a question yeah okay let's go on well i was just gonna i mean it's a good question and i think i think actually is quite hopeful in in the sense that if that is the if that is the biggest problem in, in workload, then does it, and I'm I'm going to pass the question on to my right, to Jack, does that not then offer a relatively easy solution in the sense that we can, we can uh, stop each teacher doing that and have each school hire some people for whom that is their skill and the teacher somehow can, you know, su such a problem arises with some of their children, they can pass them along to the specific people and then we'd be hiring people who weren't teachers to do jobs that aren't teaching to free up the teachers to do teaching. And that seems much more straightforward and much poten mm. more potentially feasible than, you know, scratching our heads and trying to figure out why can't we hire more teachers? Yeah, can I, I, know, I know you're passing that to Jack, but e Evelyn, you look like you want to kind of... Uh, Evelyn, <laughs> I do. I loved your bit around, you know, if we had a new education minister come in. What I would say, it's not about mobile phones. We don't we don't no. need to, we don't need to worry about mobile phones. I, the number one priority has got to be having staff in our schools. A qualified teachers and B, um, those trained staff to do, you know, to support teachers with, with everything else. So you know, going back to your question, you know, should we just have teachers teaching and non-teachers doing everything else? I actually think it's a bit of both, you know? I think that, you know, teachers play a, you know, a valid role in the pastoral side, um, you know, of nurturing and supporting our young people. But, like I said earlier, we're not qualified. We don't have the skills for some of those challenges that, I used to say are coming down the pipeline actually they're Rick large in our schools at the moment so I do think it's a bit of both um, and I think yes if we had more um, non-teaching staff to support with those challenges that would be amazing but again we've got to pay them properly you know non-teaching staff can go and get a job in Lidl or Aldi and get paid you know more than they would you know your your TAs who look after your more, your most vulnerable young people in schools are leaving in droves. And we've already got an SEND crisis in our schools. But if we don't pay our staff, you know, and show them the appreciation, and I said that a bit earlier. So yeah. for me, it really is about 
the teacher can do a dual role, but fundamentally we are teachers and we will carry some of that pastoral responsibility. But I do think that if we are going to ask our non-teaching staff to pick up that heavy lifting, we've got to pay them better and we have got to celebrate and acknowledge the wonderful work that they do. Absolutely, yeah, couldn't, couldn't agree more with that. Um, I'm, I'm aware we've got a lot of uh, questions coming in, um, both in the chat and the Q&A. If possible, if they could mainly go in the Q&A, that, um, that would be helpful, but we'll try and get through some of these. We've got 20 minutes or so uh, to, to think about them. And there's a couple that I'm gonna come to you with, um, Jack. Um, thinking about the statistics that you, you um, mentioned at the beginning, sure, Fiona asked, surely the government is privy to all these statistics. Um, and a similar, I want to roll in a, a question from Elaine Wilson as well about whether it would help um, improve these statistics. I guess if fees were waived for ITE, which is is that initial teacher training, education. Yeah, yeah, education, yeah, cool. Um, yeah, so, so I mean, most of these most of these figures uh, that that I spend my time kind of you know making into pretty charts and putting on Twitter um, are published by the government. So yeah, the government is very privy to these statistics and and, and knows all the challenges. Uh, the government is at the moment going through a process of refreshing its uh, strategy on teacher recruitment and retention uh, from uh, from twenty nineteen. Uh, Kind of reviewing that in light of all of the changes that we've seen since, uh, and I guess assessing the, the progress that has been uh, since. Uh, so yes, the government knows uh, this is uh, an issue and knows it's a problem and uh, is focusing efforts uh, on on dealing with it. It's 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 hard to achieve uh, change when uh, th there's not that much money to spend. You know, we talked about pay and what would be required uh, to to increase pay to the level. Uh, needed to um, uh, to recruit enough teachers, uh, it's very very high, uh, and uh, as we uh, are, are aware, the um, the uh, public finances um, are, are are tricky. So it's always thinking about um, uh, solutions uh, that are good value for money, and I think that comes on to Elaine's question in terms of well, what is uh, good value for money in terms of. Uh, uh, solutions uh, to this and I think things that are focused on teacher training uh, do offer quite high value for money so we've just uh, conducted a study looking at the uh, impact of training bursaries so uh, if you're a, a teacher trainer a teacher trainee coming into a, a PGC in maths uh, then you, you attract a bursary of uh, nearly £30,000 uh, for, for doing that which then can be paid against your fee uh, and then give you kind of income while you're um, while you're training. Uh, and these are really, really effective at improving recruitment. Uh, and the additional bit that we were able to look at using longitudinal data is also they're really, really effective at increasing that number of teachers that come into teacher training, and then they stay at the same rate as everyone else. So they're not taking the bursary and running. They are, it is attracting more people into the profession who were considering the profession, but weren't coming in. So it was enabling people to come in. Um, and it turns out pound for pound, it's a lot more effective uh, than uh, than increasing pay across the board, which is something we need to kind of grapple with, you know, in terms of, yes, there's been a reduction in pay, um, but, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily mean the solution is all in pay. I think these financial incentives are important. Uh, and similarly, you know, waiving the fee would also be, uh, you know, similar in some ways to a bursary in terms of um, 
uh, you know, increasing the financial attractiveness of coming into teaching um, and therefore uh, be good value for money and highly effective. So I think we should be looking at these solutions, particularly where they're focused on um, early career teachers who are very responsive to these kind of financial incentives Mm. um, and who might make a different choice to follow the path into teaching uh, or not, depending on that. Uh, And then we hope they they make a a long term career of, of teaching in the end. And uh, thanks, Jack. And um, Evelyn, I wonder if that chimes with you. I've just thought about your uh, comments earlier about um, teachers leaving to go abroad. And um, and also you mentioned at the beginning about having to get, you know, supply teachers, cover teachers, which presumably ends up costing the school, costing the government more money. Um, and therefore, it's it's very similar, I think, to kind of NHS where nurses get shortages and so you're paying private sector nurses and that's a lot more expensive. And in terms of like a, fo- you know, a false economy of, um, it's a false economy not to pay your kind of um, core staff, NHS staff or your teachers more uh, to re- retain them. Uh, but this this point Jack makes about the bursaries with that, uh, the younger teachers coming in and the, then the kind of value of, of retaining them, uh, mm. is that something that... Mm. You, from your experience would uh, would ring true yeah I, I you know i think it's one strand you know and i think that um we need to think what will help and you know we've spoken about the cost of living crisis living in cities london is so expensive um so i think it, it, it's a start but i think we've then got to layer it with lots of other things like Yes, you may get a bursary, um, but also that you're coming into one of the best professions, you know, th- that is out there. But, you know, un- un- until the teaching profession and until, you know, it's it's looked upon as a as a really um, as a great career, then actually a 28 grand, 30 grand bursary is going to maybe um tempt some people but I think they'll also be about retaining them because yes you kind of give them that kind of golden hello bursary but actually once we've got them in the schools the schools have got to be the best places for them to stay and then that's when we go back to talking about workload accountability system and so on and so forth. Thank you Um, there's a question here which I want to put to Simon, uh, which is a very simple one, as whether the UK should consider a four-day week. Now, I don't know, I presume this means just for teachers, I'd be very happy with a four-day week for everybody else as well. But um, uh, you mentioned that, Simon, is something that in, in, I think you said in some schools in Germany, they're kind of going to a four-day week. Um, do you see that sort of solution as being something uh, we should be thinking about in, in England? So, I mean, I don't know. I think, um, I think that would be part of flexible working. So um, I think more and more uh, institutions are offering their staff the possibility of working for compressed hours, which means slightly longer, well, I'm sure everyone knows, slightly longer days, but fewer days. Um, so four days a week, four days a week, if that simply means going down to 80% load, um, then I guess that's possible. If, if, if the idea is 80% load, but 100% pay, then I think that's simply a pay rise, which is, as we've been discussing, you know, absolutely necessary and absolutely great. Um, so I th- I'm not sure really how what, what your questioner had in mind. Um, more flexible working, I'm sure everybody loves. 
Um, and we, we again, we know from the pandemic, we, we, you know, teachers were, a lot of teachers were working at home. A lot of other teachers were working and doing their Zooming from schools. Um, there was a mix of both, um, but it, it didn't work. I mean, it didn't work for the children. Um, a lot of learning was lost <clears throat> with all of the implications of that. So I think I think Jack's absolutely right that, that um, kind of the idea of, of teachers teaching by Zoom from from their own homes is is currently not really a, a goer. Um, so flexible working for teachers, I guess, would have to be yeah shorter hours, and maybe shorter hours with the same pay would sound quite attractive and would be one way of doing a uh, doing a pay rise too. Yeah, thank you, Simon. Yeah, that I think uh, quite a few questions are coming in about that. Um, thinking mm -hmm. about yeah, flexible working and kind of workload, work conditions, that that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So that's that's answers some of those um, questions. I think one question following up a bit on what you were saying, uh, um, Evelyn, is uh, Chloe Bridson Domit asks uh, how much of an impact does a general public op opinion have on the supply issue? Could changing the media narrative improve the situation? Um, again, it's quite similar to what we found with the NHS since the pandemic, you know, we've gone from clapping uh, mm -hmm. outside the houses to you're not getting a pay rise. And, you know, that kind of, and the media narrative is quite interesting on that. And I think you, mm. you've reflected on, yeah, the image of, of, um, uh, teachers. Is that something that kind of, I don't know if the media narrative could be changed, could, uh, improve the, the supply situation. Yeah, you know, I, I do firmly believe that. I think that until, you know, ministers who are responsible for the education, you know, can talk about the sector in a real positive way um, and really engage with um, different parts of the sector in a productive way. Um, I think until that happens, you're always going to have, you know, somebody up here who's been very, very negative about a, a sector. So if I'm a, if I'm a young, you know, if I'm a student, you know, and I've, I've just finished, you know, my third year at uni and I'm thinking about, oh, should I go into, into teaching? Um, and the message that's coming down is that actually we don't work hard enough and maybe ministers work harder than us and we should be saying thank you to them rather than them saying thank you to us. If that's a message that, you know, prospective teachers are getting um, and then they, you know, they see an advert for a job, you know, I don't know, in a bank, you're a maths graduate and you see an advert in a bank and, you know, that it's, it's, you know, the pay is more significant, the conditions are more significant, you know, they're going to go there as opposed to going to teaching. So I do think, you know, that the narrative that comes out about the profession, you know, like I said, there's lots of layers to this, isn't there? There's a potential bursary, there's potential looking at the workload, there's a potential narrative on the sector. But I think we just need to map all that out and we need to bring it together um, and kind of try not to do one, you know, one or two things piecemeal. It's got to be a strategy around how are we really going to get more teachers into the profession and how are we going to get them to stay? And I think all the bits we've spoken about today, they form part of the jigsaw, put that together, and we would have, you know, first-class education system whereby, you know, teachers are not leaving. And 
our young people are getting the education they deserved specifically and more importantly our more disadvantaged young people um, and our more vulnerable young people because they're the ones that are missing out right now yeah thanks um even i think that's chimes with what you were saying jack at the beginning that whenever we have these kind of crises it's the the the, the not a new not across the board effect it impacts some communities some schools uh some socioeconomic groups more than others um so i wonder uh there's a question from naomi hodgson who's asking is this low public and political esteem in which teachers are held a, a particularly english issue um and how do we address it um you mentioned earlier simon very um a lot of information about this being a, a an international issue uh teacher shortages and uh not just a uniquely kind of english thing um i wonder i don't know you know if you know do they have similar kind of you know the teaching profession is it viewed more highly um in some of our kind of european neighbors uh, i don't think it is in the us uh but yeah so i could sense that one coming my way from when you first <laughs> mentioned the word international um so i don't know i i don't know is the answer so i can you know i can speculate away but then so can we all um yeah. <clears throat> i i yeah i i think that teacher shortages are you know pretty common around european countries and so i i do wonder whether we are doing something to the profession that you know, it has turned out to be not a good idea at all. And and if we're doing, if different countries are doing similar things in terms of workload, work conditions and pay, then, you know, this is this is all turning out very badly. One thing that, I mean, maybe in the chat, I don't know, I haven't looked, but we we haven't talked about is, is behaviour and whether a lot of the, um, if there's, if there's increasing, um, uncertainty about becoming a teacher whether maybe that's related to pupil behavior issues i, I have no idea i'm again looking to, to to see if jack has any answers on that but i mean um so i would i would guess that similar countries have got similar views about the teaching profession if, it, if there is a big shortage of teachers it doesn't suggest a profession that everybody thinks my goodness i really want to be a teacher and be highly valued by my country doesn't really seem that way but I have no facts on international media views of sure. teaching. I think, sure. I think there's other countries that face kind of different challenges as well. And I think it's important to think about that as well. Like some uh, Southern European countries, I think Italy uh, is one where they've actually <clears throat> looked after the teachers so well uh, that now they have a, a they didn't need that many coming into the profession because so few were leaving. And now they have an aging teaching population. They're going to just, you know, the, the teaching population is is reaching retirement age. And so they're going to face a real problem of then replacing them. And they uh, come over to here? Well, <laughs> quite. We could we could work together on this. But but it shows it shows there's different challenges and um, it, it, it's always difficult. You're always trying to find enough teachers and uh, and keep up with the demand, always changing, the supply always changing. Teaching is counter-cyclical, so it's always more difficult when the labour market is strong outside. Mm. And actually, you know, we've glossed over quite quickly the fact that we did really rather well out of teachers uh, recruiting into the profession during the pandemic. Uh, but that is you know, much more difficult we didn't save during the financial crisis so it it, it 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 does always make it more challenging uh given the economic uh conditions 
Uh, and with an economic slowdown, hey, maybe things are going to get uh, slightly easier and come back in our favour. But we've got to be doing all of those other things as well in terms of making it an attractive profession to join uh, and and to stay in. Uh, and I think the international evidence says we're not quite doing enough in this country, despite there being issues in other countries, um, that, that we could be doing a lot more uh, to look after our workforce um, that, that other countries are doing as well. Can I, can I just say... The behaviour point, Simon, I, th I think you're absolutely right. Um, I think it's more um, about retaining um, because it's teachers and non-teaching staff who are, who are trying to cope with some of the challenging behaviours at the moment. Um, and that is post-pandemic and that is the cost of living crisis and that is undiagnosed needs and not having, you know, the appropriate funds to be able to meet the needs of all our children. So, um, you know, what we hear at ASCOL is definitely that behaviour um, is, is a massive concern for, for school and college leaders. Um, and that is driving some people away or is causing long-term absence of staff from schools because it is affecting their own mental health. So I think you're absolutely right, Simon, to, to raise the um, the behaviour challenges. I think, so we've, I've got to say thank you to everybody who's put in these uh, questions in the in the Q&A and the chat. We've got, we've got loads of questions. Uh, we've got only a couple of minutes left. Um, so I think rather than going to try and um, quick fire answer a lot, a lot of these questions, Perhaps I could just ask each of you for uh, one minute uh, to kind of give your final thoughts. We've had a lot of, uh, my mind is kind of slightly um, uh, not able to hold together all the things that we've been talking about, all these different strands and aspects. Uh, there's lots um, of interest in uh, questions that have been raised and, and answers that you've given. Maybe um, if you could give uh, just a closing kind of comment on um, where you think we go from here. And I'll, uh, maybe can I ask Jack first? Yeah, sure. So I think, I mean, going back to one of the first questions, I think the government is thinking about this uh, and, you know, it's important to, to to keep thinking about the solutions and encouraging them to be uh, to be taken up. Um, but, you know, we shouldn't kid ourselves that any solution is going to be free. Um, I think we've talked about pay and financial incentives, which come with an obvious cost. Um, but, you know, so we don't necessarily think, OK, let's go to resolving workload because that's free, <laughs> because we talked about some of the solutions there in terms of you know, the support services uh, mm -hmm. and supporting teachers with extra capacity that costs money, too. So I think um, there are solutions, um, but uh, they they require us to invest in edu in the education system uh, and to and to value it uh, as highly as we uh, yeah. As we say we do, uh, in terms of the, the impact it has on young people and, you know, making sure there's enough teachers in our classroom is just uh, an essential part of that. Um, so we should be looking at the solutions, uh, both easy and radical. Brilliant. Thank you, Jack. And uh, Evelyn, can I come to you? You can, but Jack's probably said everything I would have wanted to say, apart from, um, in addition, I would like to see government and ministers moving from thinking to concrete action. Um, I'd like to see um, ministers engaging with um, 
you know, with those, with us, you know, the foot soldiers on the ground who live it and breathe it every day, you know, engage with us. And then, you know, the wider sector, um, I agree that, you know, there isn't one solution. There are multiple solutions to the problem. But until um, ministers actually um, undertake this as a priority, it will be people like Jack, people like like you and Simon running these, you know, these webinars as we continue to talk about it. But actually, we can only do so much. So I think it's about being very intentional with their thinking and put that into action. Thank you, Evelyn. That's great. Um, and Simon, sorry, I've given you the, the tough job of, of <laughs> saying something that hasn't been said by uh, Jack or Evelyn, but if anyone can do it, it's, I'm sure you can. Ah, yeah, I thought I was going to be I was going to be saved by the bell, but apparently not. Um, so, yeah, I, ha I have nothing else to say, really. I mean, I think in terms of sort of the, the, the future prosperity and the future equality, social mobility of this country, nothing really matters more than the, than the education of our young people. And we know from a lot of research that for the education of our young people, nothing matters more than teachers and teaching outside of the, the home and the family background. So it's incredibly important that, that someone takes a real grip on this and makes it makes a bit of a dent in this problem. Jack's may be right that the, the economic cycle will help us out by being bad. I don't know. It's not really something to hope for. But, um, yeah, there, there isn't really a bigger problem facing the education uh, community right now. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you uh, for those final words. I think we've been left with a lot of uh, food for thought and a lot of challenge uh, and things we will want to be bringing to uh, policymakers. So uh, at the IPR, and I know um, each of you are also engaging with policymakers. And so uh, hopefully we can continue to um, have this on the agenda and try and make some positive changes uh, to policy. Um, on behalf of the IPR, I'd like to say thank you to our panellists, uh, to Simon, to Evelyn, to Jack, uh, for making this such a, a thought-provoking and, and, and fantastic event. Uh, thank you to everyone who's joined us online, uh, and particularly thank you for your questions. Sorry that we haven't been able to answer all of them. Um, uh, hopefully we got through quite, uh, quite a good number. The webinar has been recorded, uh, and the audio and video recordings will be uh, made available soon. Uh, and to, to watch them, if you go to the IPR uh, website, you'll be able to find that. Uh, and also previous events uh, and information on upcoming events. So please do uh, visit our uh, website. Apologies, we've slightly run over, um, but uh, it was it was too good uh, to interrupt. So uh, again, thank you to everyone joining. Hope you'll join us again soon. For now, uh, it's goodbye from, from the panellists and goodbye from myself, and we hope to see you again soon. Thank you very much. <laughs>